Hi, welcome to Out of the Box Stories. I'm your host, Allison Paradise. I'm excited to share with you the conversation that I had with James Connolly, CEO of Migraine Lab. The conversation starts where you would expect it, with us talking about Migraine Lab as an organization and about the Green Labs movement. And then it takes a dramatic turn into a place that is truly extraordinary. James shares with us how he sees the world, how he sees ideas, and it's fascinating. He shares stories from his childhood, from when he was in architecture school, from his time at the International Living Future Institute, and each one of these is singular and hilarious and also universal and completely relatable. Oftentimes when we have a conversation, we kind of know where we're going when we start. This conversation with James was not at all like that. I had no idea where we were going to end up on this journey, and I am so grateful that he took the time to share his insights and his wisdom with us. James joined me from his home in Spokane, Washington, while seated at a desk that he made himself. Hi, James. Hey, Allison. How are you today? I'm doing well. It's great to spend some time with you today. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it, actually. Me too. Thank you for making this podcast be a thing. Well, absolutely. Well, I think it was your idea originally, but I knew... I can't remember. Let's say it was a (laughs) shared idea. Yeah. I, I knew you told me about all the amazing, incredible characters that like are the My Green Lab community and... We had talked about for a while, and I had talked about with Rachel how we showcase and share their stories and, you know, the incredible things they've done. And, yeah, I think this is just a, a great way to, to to share and celebrate the community and give everyone an opportunity to learn about people's journeys that hopefully inspires them. So we couldn't have done it, though, <laughs> Allison. So I'm really glad that you brought that vision to life. But I kind of remember it was a co-developed idea. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I appreciate that. I've been loving this because we're getting at not only just the stories around sustainability, but also what gives people joy and what excites people and where their passions are. And that is inspiring. Absolutely. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, But we're going to start first with how we met, because I'm not sure that many people know the story of how you became involved with Green Labs. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I'm trying to think of, did we meet at that, the Edgewater Hotel with Annie with the weird (laughs) trees that look kind of like, they're like, they have hinges, so they look robotic. That's, I think that's where we first met. That might have been where we had our first meal. We might have met that afternoon. Okay, okay, yes. No, we met in the office. That was first. We met in the (laughs) office first. And then we, yeah, we, yeah, we had a happy hour. Down at the Edgewater. I don't know why those trees stick in my mind, but yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, it was, um, for me, Allison, it was one of those moments where you like meet somebody that you know has the energy to create and to generate, and, and it was really exciting. I feel like ILFI at the time had a really incredible generative energy too, and it was just, it was like, okay, let's, let's do some amazing things. Let's change the world together, like right from the outset, which Annie told me before she introduced us. So she like prepped me for how cool you were going to be, Allison. 
Aw, thank you. She did the same for you. But I knew that because for quite some time I had been trying to connect with you about wanting to work together because she kept telling me just all the amazing things that you were doing at ILFI and she kept saying our energy together would be so synergistic and she's right. Absolutely. She's a matchmaker for, uh-huh, for this. <laughs> so I, now I feel bad because I feel like when you what? say that, do, do you mean you reached out to me and I, and I didn't get back to you? Because I feel like I was, yes. I was really bad about my email at that period of time in my life. So <laughs> I, I also know that you're very, you're very persistent, Allison, which is I a very important trait. I reached out to you, I think, for the first time in 2015 or 2016 because I had found the Declare label online and I thought, oh, this is similar, not exactly the same, but pretty similar to what I would like to do with ACT. So I need to talk to this person. And I had already met Annie and she said, oh, I know that person. Ah. I was like, get out. (laughs) I need to meet him. And then I sent you a few messages and then, yeah. You were busy. I'm sorry. For all those years ago. It's okay. That is cool to think about the the relationship between those two programs. I think similar tools that really created change in an industry through through transparency. I imagine your experience starting ACT was sort of like mine starting Declare Allison, which was sort of like beating your head against a wall trying to and then finally getting like a little bit of an opening and then, you know, squeezing through that opening and, and using that to, to open people's minds. Could you share a bit about the Declare label and about your work? So that time when we met, what were you working on? And maybe just give some context for why Annie might have thought these two people need to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to share. So um, I joined the International Living Future Institute Gosh, I'm trying to remember when. I think in 2012, I just got done with a Fulbright in China, and I was very, very inspired and fired up about green building. And I got a a job at Living Future Institute, which was kind of like the leading think tank on sustainable design, really popularized the whole idea of net zero energy buildings. And I got hired, and the very first thing they asked me to do was take on this, this idea of a program called Declare. I'd say it was pretty interesting. I actually didn't know a lot about material science, chemistry, transparency, product certifications. I was really just like a passionate young person that cared about green building. And yeah, they gave me gave me the program, kind of handed over the reins. It had actually been started by a woman, Eden Brookman, who's now at the city of San Francisco. Yeah, it was my first introduction to healthy materials. And what it what it is, you know, for those who are listening, I guess, is it's a uh, ingredients label for building products. So just like you'd have a nutrition facts on a cereal box, the Declare label helps you understand what ingredients are on building materials. And I didn't know this at the time, but building materials are made of some really, really horrible things. So you think about everything that goes into your house, it's gone into our homes um, that you're sort of interacting with, breathing, that's off-gassing into the air, or constructed and, and made of a lot of unhealthy, toxic chemicals. And the idea was if we could just get information in the world about what they're made of, then we could, we could start to change the industry. So that was, that was a really amazing sort of first introduction into sustainability. And yeah, I got to 
convince a bunch of manufacturers to pay us for the privilege of disclosing their proprietary trade secrets, which often was a very difficult, difficult, that's the way they saw it. Um, we, <laughs> we thought we were, they were paying us to, you know, uh, be transparent and, and honest with their customers about what they're making in their products. And yeah, it was super cool. I mean, the, the coolest thing about it was when you get manufacturers to go through the program, they would sort of like open their own eyes. Oh, hey, that flagged on the red list. That is something I probably shouldn't be putting in building products. That's something I should change. And it would actually get them to like completely reimagine their entire supply chain, how they make products, et cetera. And that, that means it was, yeah, the cool part about it, yes, was, you know, it was helping bring transparency to the market, but kind of the shift that you could see within a company when they started realizing that they were manufacturing things, their employees were touching toxic chemicals and then they were selling them into the world. Yeah, it was powerful. It really, really changed companies and yeah, kind of got me truly reinvigorated about the impact that organizations like Ilify and, and like My Green Lab can have. That was my feeling about it too when I first encountered it. Both uh, this feeling of, oh my goodness, I don't know why I thought that people were aware of the ingredients that they were putting into their products and were intentional about trying to keep things that were toxic out of them, but obviously that wasn't what was happening. And so I was both horrified and also so elated and excited that you were doing this program and that this existed because then there was a chance that something might change. It's a very fascinating. I got an email by a, a colleague who became a very good friend. I sent him an email when I first took on the Declare program and was bringing it to market. He sent me a response. His name is Tom Lent from the Healthy Building Network. He said, welcome to the wild, woolly world of materials. James, and he scheduled like a two and a half hour call with me where he described everything you could possibly know about what's wrong in the industry, what needs to change, <laughs> how we can drive change. And it's each one of these industries, I feel like it's its own little world. Building materials is very, very deep world, totally critical industry to support, you know, everything that's that surrounds us in our homes, but not very well understood, I, I think, except for a few people. Annie Bevan actually being one, one of those people that understands it better than anybody else in the world, in fact. So we met, and then was it how many years later? Maybe just a year, right, when I asked you to join the board? Yeah. Something like that? And I'm trying to remember, that was at, was it, a, did I come to the I2SL conference first? I think so. The one in Raleigh? Was that the first yeah. one I came to? It might have been because I remember phoning Adam and Neil and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so excited because James has said that he'll join the board. And it felt like something was really about to shift within My Green Lab because of your participation. Because you have this incredible ability to articulate very complicated concepts in a way that's really easy for people to understand and to excite them and inspire them to want to support an idea. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate that, Allison, particularly the first comment. I, sometimes you, 
don't really think of myself as a, as very good at explaining things in a simple way, but perhaps perhaps that is something that I'm good at. I think it's it's sort of for me one of the things that bothers me in the nonprofit world and in the space is there's so many people with such good ideas, like ideas that if implemented at scale would truly make a difference and truly transform the world and they don't get the resources that they need. And I, you know, that's like, when you explain to me about what you do, I, I started to understand the impact of labs, what a crucial opportunity it was to change, you know, from, from my perspective, it was like how, like, why aren't people <laughs> investing incredible amounts of money in, in this organization? And why aren't they supporting what you're doing so that you can, you can make an even bigger difference? And yeah, it's, I, my old boss, the founder of International Living Future Institute, who's who's a mentor for me for a number of years, he always said that the best ideas, the like the money comes and follows the best ideas. So when you have the right idea and you can present it in the right way, then it's like inevitable. It's like it flows in behind it to support it rather than the money supporting the idea, if that makes some sort of sense. So it's almost like the vision and and what you were trying to create. And it just, it seemed so powerful. I knew it needed to be filled up with the resources that could, could make it as successful as it could be. So when you, when you asked me to come along and help, I was, I was 100% game, probably ended up working more on it sometimes than my actual job because I was really fired up about it, Allison. And it was fun. Because we would meet every week and we would mindstorm about, okay, Here's where we're at. Here's where we want to go. How do we make that happen? Both in terms of fundraising, but also in terms of messaging and programs and how to really grow that movement that had started into something that was beyond the United States into this global space. And that was really, that was when you were part of the organization was right at that inflection point when we were starting to spend a lot more time in the UK and Europe, speaking with people in Singapore, other parts of the world, Australia. It was really exciting to have you join and and obviously worked out really well because then you were meant to be the person to lead the organization into its next phase. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it certainly ended up working out that way. I, I didn't imagine um, that would be the outcome, I have to have to admit. I thought, well, yeah, I thought I was going to be kind of in the building space the whole rest of my career. Joining My Green Lab was like opening my eyes to this whole nother new world. Like the building product industry was its own world with so many levels and so much complexity. And yeah, when you open my eyes to what is life science and and the broader uh, research enterprise, as we've been calling it, it was pretty fascinating, Allison, and it like 100% sucked me in. And your passion for the mission 100% 100% sucked me. And I will say I joined really because of you and what you were trying to do. And I wanted to to see how I could help and how I could support the work that you were doing to be successful. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Like those first board meetings that I got to join. I hadn't sat on that side of the table before. And yeah, to see what you were creating and see it take off in the community that you were building and you know your vision was always huge with what it could become as well, Allison. So yeah, it's it's amazing to be a part of it now 
and to see the the incredible things that you started grow and you know really start to i think make a significant change in like the the underlying structure of how people think about this industry which is pretty amazing so it's it's been a truly a gift so i i can't thank you enough for meeting meeting me at the office and then and then having happy hour under the weird mechanical trees and <laughs> sucking me in to to be a board member which i think i told you i remember you came to a conference i was running one time and i was like this is the best part of my job is getting to work on my green lab <laughs> and yeah we were in nashville mm -hmm. i remember listening to an amazing singer and i was like i just want to do this more and <laughs> and i guess maybe you took that as a cue or the board did <laughs> and that's that's where i am now so i guess i guess that 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 came true. So tell me, because I'm curious, I mean, you and I speak pretty regularly. Most of our conversations, though, are, are more kind of like factual. Can you tell me the history behind this? Or I've got a question about that. Or I have questions for you about things. And I haven't asked you in a really long time. How's it going? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking first. It's going awesome. Allison, I feel amazing waking up every day, working as part of this community. For me, it doesn't doesn't feel like work most days. <laughs> let's let's you know most days. Some days feel like work. Um, that's inevitable. But yeah, I think there there was like sort of this idea and culture that you had founded within my Green Lab about getting people to follow their passion. And, you know, in, in some ways, I think my previous organization had that as well. And there was like a magic to it that made it incredibly exciting to be part of the movement, um, whether you're on the team or you're a volunteer, you were just involved in the programs. And I think that that My Green Lab has that spark in people. You know, the certification itself, like, People don't go through certifications and then like give you a call afterwards and they're like, this changed my life. I want to now I want to like focus on this for my career. Like that is an unusual. Usually people don't like going through certifications at all. <laughs> in fact, um, Allison and yeah, what what My Green Lab has been able to create the spark that it creates in people that then they take so much beyond just, mm -hmm. you know, what what is in the program itself um and to be kind of part of that is is really really cool i have to say and you know i think a lot of the the ideas you had about how to how to have a workplace where people feel supported they feel valued they can be their true selves they have flexibility you know we've we've done our best to kind of hold true to those those things and you know, I think one of the other coolest parts for me is just to see the amazing people at the organization grow and continue to achieve and inspire others and, and become become leaders in the industry and recognized. So it's it's going awesome, Allison. Like frankly, I I was I think I resisted at first when you suggest I feel like you incepted the idea of taking the CEO role on from me, like many, many years ago. <laughs> But I'm glad you did, and I'm I'm incredibly grateful that that I I took on this opportunity. It's been truly like the thrill of a lifetime. So I couldn't be happier. 
uh, got to move back home to my hometown in Spokane, which has been really amazing to be closer to my family. And yeah, and, and, and I think kind of build an organization and a program that had incredible bones, like what the programs are great, the concepts are great, the mission, the vision, and flesh it out and move it to the next level. I mean, it's just been, it's, it's been exciting and, and fun. I mean, I'm, and I don't want to say that there haven't been like challenges along the way, because like that's life, but it, it has really been an amazing experience that I'm, I'm very grateful for. That makes me just want to jump up and down with joy. If I weren't sitting down on the floor, I would be jumping up and down right now because that's what, I mean, I don't get to choose what your experience is going to be, obviously, but in my heart, that's what I would hope for, that it would be something that you're excited about and that the community is excited about. And and you're right that the Mind Green Lab community and the Green Labs community in general is so exceptional in their ability to take this idea and just explode it. Totally, totally. It's, it's not just, oh, I hear what you're saying and I'm going to robotically repeat it. It's like constantly being iterated upon. And that is just, it's so cool and it's exactly what the program was meant to do, was to inspire new ideas. And it's doing that. Totally, totally. And now on like this huge scale and it's, you know, just like the spark. And then all of a sudden, an organization starts a program and they have a committee. And then, you know, there's there's all these new incredible ideas and maybe it spins out into a new organization. Um, uh-huh. You know, I, that magic, I think, was some of the... It, that magic was part of what I loved about uh, Living Future Institute. The building was the tool, the framework, and it had all these ridiculously incredibly hard requirements like net zero energy, net zero water, being free of toxic chemicals, even though there wasn't any disclosure around what's in building products. So it was pretty impossible to tell. So it set the bar like at this ridiculously high level and and just the journey of trying to get to the bar like transformed people and then they would come out of it and they, you know, want to dedicate their life to net zero energy buildings or they want to dedicate their life to healthy materials. And I think My Green Lab has that that same incredible spark. And I think the other part it does, the program that's so amazing is people get like quick wins in a way that like sometimes people make sustainability like this is this is like this huge, impossible, complicated, endless thing. And like it just turns people off because they're like, well, I don't know how to do that. Like I'm not going to go back and get my PhD in sustainable engineering and figure out how to solve all these problems, but I can do this. And it's like once you once you do that and, and then you then you start telling other people, hey, why don't we do it like this? And you get that little spark of confidence. Yeah, it truly transforms people. And then all of a sudden they can do lots of things, a lot, a lot more than they thought they could do. It's like people are beat down. You know, they don't think they can, they don't, they think their actions matter, their opinions matter. And, you know, in a small way, this gets them that little bit of confidence that then they can, they can take to the next level. Yeah, that's exactly right. It empowers people in the truest sense to recognize how much power we really have as individuals. Absolutely. 
I mean, truly, there's nothing we can't do, especially if we work together. And once your eyes are opened to the possibilities, whether it's through Green Lab certification or through a program like ILFI or even just hearing something or reading something about sustainability, once you start to see your world through that lens, it's almost unlimited all the things that you can start to see differently. And I loved that process for myself because starting my green lab, I really didn't know very much about sustainability. Not like I had a degree in sustainability, right? I had degrees in neuroscience. <laughs> well, did they, I don't know. Yeah. Did they have like, you know, they're pretty new. <laughs> Not that old. <laughs> just starting. Just starting. I think, I think, but like, you know, seven, eight years ago, we're in the first sustainability like degree programs began. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't that long. Maybe a decade ago, but they called it different things back then. Environmental science and, you know, before like sustainability is is a topic is relatively recent. Okay. So I didn't know very much about sustainability, but I did see that something could be different in, in labs. And then I started paying attention to the food that I was eating. And then I met or tried to meet you in 2015, but I met Annie. And and then I was made aware of what was happening in buildings. And then I started being made aware of what's happening in cars. And then I started being made aware of what's happening in clothing. And it just keeps cascading. And you start to see, oh my gosh, there's so many things that I can do differently. Mm-hmm. And there are, a lot of them are really accessible. And I had no idea. And it feels... It feels like reclaiming a little bit of like when you're a kid and you know you can do anything. Mm. And then as as we get to be older, sometimes we forget that that's actually true. 100%. And, you know, and it kind of reclaims a little bit of that little kidness like, oh, my gosh, why can't I do something different? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just thinking about just like how fired up people get, you know, and they're like, I figured out you can actually recycle like this type of plastic. And if you can recycle that type of plastic, it means you can recycle this type of plastic. Uh-huh. And then we could get like, <laughs> if we got everybody, you can just see like, yeah. Yeah. And it's that type of energy and those type of people that are willing to create change that, that really can. And I, I totally agree with you that there's this, yeah, you get older and you're like, that's just the way it is. Mm hmm. And like, I, I see myself slipping into that sometimes, you know, sad. That's how you know you're getting old. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, well, nothing you can do about that. But like what, what gives me confidence, I would say definitely is, you know, with Declare, everybody told us it was impossible. Nobody's ever going to disclose their ingredients ever. That would be impossible. They're certainly not going to do it publicly. And, you know, now you look, look at the industry and, you know, and that was 10 years ago when that program came to market and there's now, it's like an expectation in building products that you disclose your, your ingredients and and they're free of toxic chemicals. And, you know, I think we're, we're, I don't think we've read, I think we're on our way to redefining the industry in that way around sustainability at my green lab and, yeah, it just takes takes a lot of courage and commitment. And I will say that the the first part, Allison, is really hard to just getting started. I think that's one thing that your 
you're incredibly good at and you're tenacious and you're persistent. And yeah, anyway, you, you, you were a role model for me in my job and I was looking at what you were doing and how you were how you're approaching it and the bravery and courage it took to kind of strike out and make something happen out of nothing did really inspire me. Just want want you to know that, but sorry, we're getting a little off topic, I guess, from what you you were talking about. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That really means so much. We don't have a topic. I was going to ask you about the mechanical trees next. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was going to ask you about the mechanical trees because... This is something that I've noticed over the years. And that's what you notice is very different from what I notice. And I think it's really cool. So I have no memory of the mechanical trees. I can't even picture them at all in my mind. But you noticed them. And you notice things like that. So I'm curious. I'm trying to think even how to frame this in the question. When you walk into a space, what is it that draws your attention? Oh, you know, there's, there's this weird way that your mind gets reshaped as an architectural student that's really interesting through a lot through drawing, at least the school I went to. I went to the University of Washington. That's Beaux-Arts School. So we learned how to hand sketch. We learned how to draw in three dimensions uh, without a ruler draw straight lines with without a ruler a very useful skill in the modern economy <laughs> i will let you know <laughs> very useful i'm really glad i spent hours of my life doing that i pay very good attention to detail now uh, but there's a way in which you start thinking three-dimensionally that's kind of it's kind of hard to explain but yeah like when i like i don't know i can picture when we first met the room, the columns, the weird trees that had joints, I can picture like when we were in Nashville, and I, I remember telling you and my cousin was there also, that supporting your two entrepreneurial ideas were the most amazing part of my career. I can picture the space, uh, the amazing singer in that like crazy glittery dress. Yeah, Do you remember that? I remember the dress. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to forget the dress. <laughs> yeah. She was just amazing singer. Just yeah, so I, I don't know. I just, in, this is, yeah, sort of a weird thing. I just think in three dimensions and I remember things three dimensionally. And um, you have to take all these tests in architecture school. And I was actually really bad at it at first. I didn't get in the first year because I my three dimensional reasoning is what they call it wasn't very good. And I spent a lot of time drawing and sketching and modeling. And yeah, that's like a, that's how I remember scenes of my life i guess <laughs> through the architecture that surrounds them because that's 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 how i think that's fascinating that's really fascinating so before you were in architecture school even though you weren't maybe able to necessarily draw or visualize in three dimensions did you still have that memory for things was it always in terms of the space the architecture of the space it was pretty pretty vivid but it wasn't it wasn't like as refined, if that makes sense. So I would remember textures or like how things looked. But in architecture school, it's like you train your brain to think this way so much that then it's like a muscle that you can stretch. And I've always had a, a very good memory and a pretty vivid memory. But now 
it's it's stronger, I guess, and it's more f- fleshed out. It's like I can see the whole weird diorama of a movie scene in my mind. I think I mean it's a skill anybody can develop, right? You just have to you have to do it. You have to focus on it and learn how to draw in three dimensions and learn how to think in three dimensions. And you think about spaces instead of shapes or forms. And yeah, and it's just it's just a totally different way to approach design. And yeah, then you end, it ends up changing the way you think about everything fundamentally in a really interesting way. That's what I was thinking is aside from just how you think about spaces, how is this way of thinking influencing your general approach to life? Because I have to imagine, I don't see things like that. So I'm trying to even imagine what that could be, like the fullness and the depth that you must get when you think about an idea or a problem. If you're thinking in 3D, you must be thinking in all these different depths at once. Yeah, I'm sure you do though, Allison. And but maybe maybe it's like our cognitive frame is different. And I'm not a neuroscientist, so tell me if I'm totally off my rocker here, but like for me if I'm I'm thinking about my green lab as an organization, like to to effectively think about it, you have to think about what happened before, what's happening now, what might happen in the future, what's kind of coming from the side, where are the key leverage points? And it's, it's, you have to have like this three-dimensional understanding of all the things that are going in to the future possibilities if you're going to be able to shift and impact the industry in the most important way while keeping the wheels on the bus and, you know, making sure you can pay the bills and all that. And I know you can do that. I know you can do that. But maybe in your mind, it's not like, it's not visual. It's, you know, but I know, but I do think it helps shape how I approach problems and I can kind of hold a lot of different facets and information at the same time and try to meld them together because everything is a system and it's like a chaotic moving system at all times if that makes sense and so you have to you have to be able to hold a lot of different parts at once if you're going to guide in the right direction but do I mean do you feel like you can do that? I I know you can because I've seen I've sat in board meetings where you like explain the whole industry and your strategy and why we can't do it this way and why it has to go this way. But yeah, for me it's like it's three-dimensional but I'm loving hearing this because even though maybe the output looks the same, it's entirely different because I don't have a map of all of that in my head at all. And when I speak about where something is going, it's almost as if everything I've ever known is consolidated down to a single point in that moment, and I'm speaking just from that place. Okay. It's not at all in this mapped out space, and I can almost see now as you're describing it, this room or building or space that you're creating as you're going through a process and it's beautiful and that's so cool yeah it's weird i've actually never talked about this with anybody before (laughs) to be honest so hopefully there's more like me out there please write in (laughs) james at mygreenlab.org we'll start a club (laughs) it also makes sense then why in this So it was always apparent to me that my green lab would reach a stage at which 
I would not be the right person to be leading the organization. In spite of all of the passion, in spite of the vision, I always knew it would get to that place. And in this conversation, it's very clear to me why that is. Because my thinking is very present moment, informed by whatever's right there. And you're able to hold an entire room's full worth of information and then be strategic. And I'm not, not that I couldn't do that, but I don't do that at the moment anyway. And so, of course, you'd be the right person to take over. Well, I'm very flattered by that. I think there's like a, a downside to this way of approaching the world is it can be kind of overwhelming and make it difficult to arrive at it. Or I can see a lot of different ways to the, to a lot of different ways that would work. I think you're like, you know, and have conviction that this is the way. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that those are both strengths and maybe at different times, like you're right. Yes. But at different times, it's like when you're starting something, it's all about the conviction and the clarity. And if you think about too many different things, it could be super paralyzing, actually. And so sometimes I, you know, when we talk, sometimes I, I draw a little of the conviction and you know, you're like, no, this is the right way to do it. Like, I thought about it. <laughs> We're going to do it this way. We need to have more of those, those, those chats when I get stuck in looking at my complicated mind map and can't make a decision about where to move forward. I would like that. I think, Allison. So that's super interesting. I, I just imagine, I imagine the inside of your brain differently. But I'm glad we, we kind of had this conversation. It sort of makes sense, too. Yeah, you have like this confidence and this is the way it needs to be. This is the way to go, which is really, I, it like takes me a long time to get there. I may, maybe it seems like I'm made the full decision, but I'm still like, oh, well, there's a few other different ways we could go that might work, but we're picking this one for now. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. And it really feels, okay, so I have this vision in my head of nature. There are, all these plants, let's just take plants because of course there's all these animals too. But if you imagine, right, there's all these different plants and each plant, a tree and the plant next to it are exactly in harmony and perfectly complementary to one another oftentimes because they're just doing exactly what's natural to them. And that's how it feels like in this moment that what is our natural way of seeing the world is so complementary. And because of that, we've been able to then help bring this organization and this movement into these different phases. And that's, I just feel so lucky. I can't thank you enough for sharing that. Like Now I'm going to go through my day imagining what it would be like if I could think in three dimensions and see everything. Well, you, you totally can. That's, I think, I think that anyone can. And well, I'm going to have to practice. <laughs> well, how about, how about I practice uh, being present and <laughs> confident in the path that I'm going instead of worrying about all the other op options at any one time? Okay. Maybe we can, maybe, well, let's, let's compliment each other. I don't, I don't, throughout my career, I've, dealt with all these different management leadership philosophies, you know, Myers-Briggs, DISC, 
the one I sort of liked was Strengths Finder. What's that? It's 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 basically just like an evaluation you do on Gallup poll that helps you understand like what what you're good at and what are your strengths. Oh, okay. I think they're all really super self limiting personally because people like self identify. They're yes. like an INTJ. That means that like I'm difficult in these type of. It's like you don't have to be dip, like just because the book said you were that you can. Like everybody can change. You can think in a different way. You may have a natural tendency to act in a certain way or think in a, a certain way. But I have to say, I've I've been able to change my thinking and, and dramatically before, you know, through a lot of time and effort and toil in a good way, you know, with with positive outcomes. Yeah, I. So I don't I don't know if we're. Yeah, it's like we're like on two different, you know polls but we can cross over i guess is what i'm trying to say Um, i'm gonna practice it it's gonna be the first thing i try tomorrow in my first meeting i'm gonna try to imagine as somebody's telling me a story or sharing something putting it into a three-dimensional space and just see what it feels like because the the image of diorama really resonates with me because i used to like making those a lot as a kid yeah, so you probably have, you developed it like as a child, that, that three-dimensional understanding. <laughs> yeah. Did you like making them too when you were a kid? Oh, absolutely. It was like my favorite thing. I made like this, these epic ones that would have like water pumps that we'd get from the store, uh, from the pet store and like bring them into school and then they would leak everywhere. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was really into fantasy novels, so I'd make like cool dioramas of the fantasy novels I was reading. That's so cool. They're very elaborate. <laughs> I had very supportive parents. <laughs> like mine wouldn't hold a candle to yours. So they were mechanical dioramas that, that worked? Totally, yeah. Like with like waterfall, well, sort of. <laughs> they would work for like, yeah, they worked for like a short period of time until they started leaking. Then I would get in trouble. Teachers would be like, take this diorama home. <laughs> But you made Wes Anderson level dioramas when you were a kid. That is so cool. I did this instead of my homework, mind you. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Homework's overrated. Totally. That's totally. where all the creativity gets stifled. Yeah. Yeah. We, more dioramas, less homework. And then I went to architecture school, which is just making giant elaborate dioramas, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what you do. so there's this other thread that that i think plays into what i'm noticing which is this thread of building things and it's interesting that you're now in a phase of life where you're not building say a physical thing like a diorama or a building but you're building a movement building ideas and i'm wondering how that shift feels for you yeah is it as satisfying it is now. Uh, I would say, um, you know, when I was sort of made the intentional transition from pursuing a, a career of actually being an architect and going from dioramas to real buildings, and I practiced for a couple of years at, at two different firms, that was like a tough one. And something I kind of still miss, to be honest, is building buildings. It's it's really amazing. Um, and I got to be part of some incredible building projects. I think that my, like, I think in this way, but there are people you meet that 
they in their mind can create a whole building to every detail and then draw it right in front of you and just like the people I went to school with are some some incredible architects many of them now leading firms that are just doing amazing work and while I was good at it <laughs> you know it it sort of realized my my skills were a little bit best applied elsewhere in the industry I think what I what I became better at was helping inspire and motivate people that that they could do more and you know what I found at at the Living Future Institute is if I could inspire 10 people to all of a sudden go out and build their buildings and do do what they do best um apply their creativity and knowledge you know actually if you think about it the the potential scope of that impact is is much greater and so you know got hooked on that and yeah and i think i think it's like i you're right i'm like back to building something here cuz there's there's a structure you know there's a system there's a technology infrastructure there's financial infrastructure there's a branding and marketing palette there's there's a community there's all these things that you can kind of add the pieces together as you're you're building it up and it it does feel in a way much more like what i was originally trained to do if that makes some sort of sense yeah and i don't i don't want to make any comment whether architects make good leaders of organizations um maybe they do <laughs> maybe they don't but there are there are a lot of similarities cuz sometimes you're starting with like relatively blank piece of paper and you just got to figure out what it should become and that ability to take something and create order out of chaos or or have a vision for what something should become before it has become that and get everybody organized and aligned and working towards a common objective is is what you're trained to do as an architect besides just drawing perfectly straight lines without a ruler it was literally like months of my life gone to drawing straight lines <laughs> that's you never know someday you might actually need that i know you know you it's know? possible <laughs> it's totally possible I'm trying to think it's like i'm in a puzzle game and like the last part you have to draw a perfectly straight line <laughs> like an indiana jones scene or something right. like that i could do that that's my superpower <laughs> that's what we need you on the team yes you know, we have our whole team of explorers and we get to the last bit we're like none of us can do this where's james James, get the giant pen. <laughs> Do you spend any time building things in this three-dimensional space, not in not in idea space, but do you actually get a chance to continue to build things in this space? Yeah, you know, it's been been a while. So I was working on some concept designs uh, for my mom. She's building a house down on the Spokane River. So I, I built some concept designs for that, uh, which was really fun to kind of get back to my roots. It then became uh, very political between my mother and my stepfather, how the place should be designed. And I, I've since stepped out of the project. <laughs> it's funny. I worked in architecture and designing homes for people is uh, more like being a, a marriage counselor than anything else. And I realized I was kind of stuck in that position. 
Yeah, it's been a long time. I would love to kind of get back to that, actually. I used to used to build furniture. I'm, the desk that I'm calling you in from is a, a desk that I built in Furniture Studio, one of my final studios at architecture school. And it's a handmade piece of, of maple that I spent three months shaping and designing and building. And yeah, maybe in a future life, you know, I'll just go back to, to building beautiful pieces of furniture. <laughs> and I mean, I really love that, actually. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done. And yeah, I, I work from it every day. So I'm reminded of it every day. Oh my gosh, can I see it? Is it possible? Yeah, I mean, it's super, like, now you get to see how messy my desk is right now. Oh, that wood is so pretty. If you ever came to my house, you would you'd get to see it, but I can send you some photos. So it has, obviously. Oh, James, that's beautiful. Yeah, my uh, woodworking instructor told me it would never stand up, and turns out he was wrong. These instructors you've had in the past are harsh. Having you take your diorama home, telling you your desk isn't going to stand up? Oh, I haven't told you about my architecture professor. So I, I had an architecture professor in the first studio that you take at University of Washington is a studio called Stick Studio. And you build these huge tree houses and you actually refine wood out of two by fours into dimensional timber and then glue it together to build these huge, like three foot tall by four foot long tree houses. And I came into class one day and he looked at mine, and he was just like, uh, very famous architecture professors, uh, Frank Ching. And he looked at mine, and he was just like, oh, God. And he just like pulled it off the table and stepped on it. What? And then he put a nickel on the table and was like, hey, you know what, James? I think you're going to have to call your mom. You're never going to be an architect. <laughs> oh, my. What? Seriously. What I will have to say is maybe uh, Frank Ching didn't know very much about me, but that was like the only thing he could have done to keep me in that program. <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest, it's like, okay, you don't think I can? I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> well, that says an awful lot about you because that kind of, like for me, when people would say that to me, I did not have that response. When people tell me, oh, maybe sometimes, but I remember in school something similar happened in grad school. They held up my research proposal that we had to write for class, and they held it up as an example of the worst idea that they had ever heard and that nobody would ever fund it. And I did not walk away from that going, I'll prove you wrong. I walked away from that going, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't, this is so awful to be so unsupported. So it says an awful lot about your own inner confidence in your own inner resolve that you were able to take that and turn it around so that's not easy yeah well I will say I wasn't that wasn't like my my immediate reaction was like you know screw this I'm never being part of this program like if people are going to act like this and then I you know kind of thought about it and was realized I'm not going to let one person and their opinion of my work kind of limit me from accomplishing, you know, what had been my dream ever since I was making elaborate dioramas for, for book club. <laughs> Great school. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that happen to you, though, Allison. I feel like science has a little of this culture that architecture does, where 
like being really critical about other people's things or ideas is somehow like a sign of intelligence or greatness or yeah it's like yeah that would be like totally something I remember one time like yeah like a different professor held one up and it was the smallest one and he's like this is obviously look how this is different than every other little tiny elaborate treehouse how could anybody think that this is a good idea this is terrible and I was just like it's a cool little one like what's wrong <laughs> it's most it's architects creative but yeah, I could totally see like them being like, oh, well, this is out of the funding capability. So I'm going to go just lambast this this student. I mean, I don't know what causes that culture, but I think it's it's really negative. It's very destructive and abusive. And I think it's a lot of need to control and to feel powerful from people who might have themselves felt powerless and then just perpetuate that. Yeah, it's like the cycle of abuse, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, well, you know, everybody was really mean to me, so... Right. Now I got to turn that around, and that's how I have to approach everybody to make them strong. That's not how that works. You can uplift people. Absolutely. The best professors did, right? Like, they were, yeah. they were amazing. Like, they loved your ideas, even if they were weird, you know? Yeah, because it's interesting. Interesting things are worthy of of pursuit and the other things that they thought were interesting were just so or they're like just like adjacent things exactly always with the adjacent things as if that's going to move anything yeah to just build one small block on top of another no you want to completely change things or really understand things you got to like go all the way over here yeah you have to shift shift the whole paradigm i think that was one of the things that was so cool about Living Future Institute, and again, I've spent so much of my professional life there, I keep returning to it. It was like, we're not just going to make buildings like 10% better, 20% better. We're going to totally turn this entire thing on its head, and we're going to design buildings that make the world a better place. Um, of course, defining exactly what that meant, <laughs> you know, the criteria was complicated, but the vision of that was so inspiring. That we should be, and I think, I mean, I think the vision of My Green Lab shares, shares some of that. It, and, and in fact, in a way, it's broader because it's, it's about like the whole culture, not just about one lab building a, a culture of sustainability and science. People like big, bold, exciting ideas. And I guess, yes, funding likes little incremental things that are likely to succeed. But yes, I mean, those are the fun things, in my opinion. No. I totally agree with you. They're not. They're the things that you already know. It's a foregone conclusion. It's not interesting. Yeah, you just have to prove it. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, you already know how that's going to go. I want to know what happens if I do something totally radically different, how that's going to go. Yeah. That's the scientist in me at heart. <laughs> Did this make you uh, difficult to, to manage in school, Alice? <laughs> or, or in work, perhaps. <laughs> I was really awful to manage. I knew, I realized from a very young age, I couldn't work for another person because I was the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tended to kind of be the worst too, Allison. So I think we share that. I'm going to take that one sentence about how you wouldn't let one person's opinion limit you. And I'm going to put that on a piece of paper and hang it up on the wall in this house because that is so inspiring 
there isn't a person listening to this. There isn't a person alive on this planet who hasn't had that experience of somebody trying to shut them down or knock totally. them down. And it can be so hard to get up from that because it's often the person who you look up to or think you should be looking up to. Yeah, and that's that's the important thing maybe to realize I've always, like, you always think there's, like, these experts and there's the right way to do it. You kind of get there and you're like, oh, why? Everybody's just making this up. <laughs> and, and then that gives you the confidence that you also, and not through not disciplined thinking and thought and effort and time and research, you know, all that has to go into it. But, you know, you, you can do it um, if you have an incredible idea. It just takes the time and effort. But I think a lot of people lack the confidence. That's the main thing. They don't have the confidence to get started or the confidence to see it through. And it's easy to just kind of default to doing the status quo, right? And not changing anything. But maybe not anymore. Maybe not after listening to this. And I hope that that does encourage some people. I, I feel like one of the things you're really good at that I've learned and I, and I want to always continue to reflect how I approach, approach people and then how, especially internally, but externally as well, is you're always helping to build people up. I remember in the first conversations we had, often I would get like really down on myself. It just the way, the words that I used. You're like, why are you doing that? Knock off. Uh-huh. Quit saying that you don't know this. Like, you do, actually. <laughs> like, you're, like, a worldwide expert on this topic. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, there. you have a, an amazing way of making people feel strong and confident in themselves, which then gets them, gets them the ability to accomplish more than they ever could have done. I mean, that happened to me, Allison, in, in, the very, in a very real sense. I think I was starting to lose that confidence at my old job. And I don't want to go into all the details why, but you know, you really helped build me up and help me regain that confidence. And yeah, I, I hope I can pass that on to others. So maybe you didn't have that one experience, but I know you've had like lots of those experiences and have overcome them and it like radiates out of you and then you're generous with that spirit of supporting others. It's really powerful. And, and I hope to do the same. And I think like being the leader of an organization, like 90% of what you're doing is just being like, you can get, you can do it. Like, actually you can get this, you can get it over the finish line. You have the tools, you know, that's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And I learned that from you again, maybe I knew it all along, but I relearned it and I needed, you got to relearn things. You can't, you don't just know them once. I think you're going to make me cry. Thank you. It's the truth. I mean, there's there's something that you can see in people that's this brilliant, beautiful light or I don't know even know what to call it. This this beautiful being and through the course of life we all get beaten down. And when you can see that in somebody, it's the most beautiful thing to just kind of hold up a mirror and be like, see, do you see this? Do you see what I'm seeing? Because it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and I can see that you can do anything. 
yeah. anything at all. And if I was able to do that for you, well, then that makes me want to cry and it makes me smile so much. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, Allison. And I wish you were here. I could give you a hug. I know. Zoom hug. Pretty soon. It'll, it'll happen. I'll have some weird way you can do it. <laughs> oh, no. No, not through the computer. How about we just get together? And I know. We need to see each other. It's been way too long. You're, we're both in, like, very interesting locations, I feel like, these days. We used to see each other We back when we both traveled too much, and we'd see each other at various conferences on the regular, but it has been too long. There's nothing, I mean, it's interesting. I, I love Zoom and its ability to connect with so many other people than you would with less carbon footprint and all that and everybody to be mobile and work from home, but you forget how meaningful it is to, to interact with people in person. Yeah, I got to I got to see you recently after the ABRF conference. That was really amazing actually. I needed I needed to pick me up then too, uh, Allison, and it was that was a perfect opportunity to see you. That was great. We were in Santa Cruz for that. Yep, walk that was the so beach. much fun. We planted aloe. Yes, we planted aloe that grows in a bush tree. I had no idea. And apparently in sand. Yep. <gasps> I wonder if it survived all the rain. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah. You know, it's been raining so much there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They they did I think ours took root. I hope so. I'm gonna go check it when the next time I'm back there, which won't be for a couple months, but I'll go check it out, I'll let you know. Okay, well maybe maybe we could meet again in Santa Cruz because that was amazing. Yeah. Okay. I would love that. I could talk to you forever, but I don't wanna keep you. Thank you. Honestly, James, look I I didn't know where this was going. And I think I'm going to be listening to this conversation on a regular basis for inspiration. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for saying saying that, Allison. And thanks for inspiring me and getting me on this podcast. Yeah, I, just, I feel like this was like one of our old conversations. We used to call it the best hour of the week. And we would just brainstorm uh-huh. <laughs> about the future of My Green Lab. And then I'd also get your input on strategy at ILFI and yeah, it feels feels like the old days, so we'll have to keep this up. And I know we're going to, so thanks thanks again. Okay, good. Well, then I'll just keep it as I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Bye.